everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, I have Dr. Jamie Cho with me. Hey, Jamie, how are you? Hey, hi, Blair. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, happy to do this. This is what I love. So oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, for those of you that are just joining us, um, I've never had a veterinarian on. And this is really exciting for me because one, I feel like I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't feel like I run into a lot of Asian American veterinarians. Is that? I would agree. My class in vet school was about a hundred and out of the hundred, there was an Indian, there was me. There might've been one other Asian person, but I think that was it. Why, like, okay, let's be real here. Why do you think that is? <laughs> uh, it doesn't have maybe the same prestige. Mm. And, you know, like growing up as Asian American, you probably know our parents always wanted us to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. Um, technically veterinarians, and they are doctors. We yes. have letters behind our name. But it doesn't, you definitely don't get paid like <laughs> other doctors, I'll say that. So a lot of people who go into uh the veterinary industry they do it because they love animals they love what they do oh wow so, okay so then you do love animals yes have you always loved animals or was it something that like happened later as in early life? as I can remember I've always loved animals um but what's interesting is I it's funny because I when I tell people that I'm a veterinarian their eyes light up they're like oh you know and probably one yeah, of the because it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those but what's funny is also one of those jobs that could easily end up on that show dirty jobs because there's a lot of dirty things about the job mm. but it's it's just so different in all the things that you can do and will do and um, just different spectrums um but a lot of when I say oh I'm a veterinarian a lot of a lot of people respond was I used to want to be a veterinarian when I was a kid I loved animals um but then most of them don't end up being veterinarians and I was wondering like what was what happened um so, yeah, I, I definitely loved animals as early as I can remember. But what's interesting was I loved animals first. I didn't always want to be a vet. Oh. So I, I wasn't the typical, you know, story of ever since I was little, I've always loved animals. I always wanted to be a vet and be a vet animal doctor. And then, boom, here I am. That was not my story at all. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds really interesting. And I feel like it's a story that we all probably need to hear. At least I do, because I'm curious to what when that transition happened for you. But before I get into all those questions, um, Jamie, could you tell me like, I mean, I can assume I have a dog, a little French bulldog that I told you about right before us a recording here. But um, so I know what my veterinarian does, but I... <laughs> But for those of, for people listening that don't have pets and maybe have no clue what a veterinarian does, I feel like it's different for everybody too. So could you tell me a little bit more about what you do and your day to day? Oh man, that's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> okay. I want to hear it all. So don't leave anything out, okay. please. So first, let me kind of clarify when you're a veterinarian and you, you go to vet school, you can choose to be practice so many different types of veterinary medicine. Mm. So I am licensed to do like treat any animal, like our board exam, ask questions about pigs, hamsters, snakes, dogs, cats, horses, cows, like it's just the gamut, right? So 
I'm licensed to practice medicine on any animal, any species, but most people will focus on certain species and they stick to that. So I, I have a lot of people ask me once they find out I'm a veterinarian, what's the coolest animal you've ever worked on? I'm like, dog. <laughs> like, hey, like I have done some stuff on horses and, you know, I've um, stuck my arm in a cow's butt. Like, oh man, <laughs> oh my like, gosh. But at the end of the day, like when you go to vet school, you actually pick like an emphasis. And I knew I wanted to stick to small animals, like companion animals, which is probably going to be dogs and cats. I see. Um, I, I think it would be really unwise of me to be like, I'm going to try to fix horses, even though I'm licensed because I don't have enough technical experience. So, you know, and that's what's, interesting and cool and we brag about this in vet school compared to like human doctors is we have to know the body system of every single species like horses cows pigs dogs cats a lot of them are very different they medicine wise they're very different they they're treated differently and we so we have to know all of that going through vet schools and vet school is four years just like med school Mm -hmm. so um it's a pretty rigorous thing yeah so i mean sorry to interrupt you i just as you're talking something came to my mind. I I have always wondered, like, so, um, you know, my vet, I see a lot of dogs and cats, but like, if I had a snake and something were to happen to him, like, do I bring them to the normal vet or? No, so I'll answer that with the question or I'll okay. answer that with the story. Okay, okay. Okay. So I don't really do any other animals. Um, one day I was working and someone brought in a turtle. They're like, so we have a pond near our neighborhood and we saw this turtle and it was a fish hook stuck in its mouth and we didn't know what to do. So we just grabbed it. Can you help us? And I looked at the turtle and I looked at the lady, I go, I don't know. I've never done this before, but sure. Let me give it a try. We went to the back and we just put on gloves and we're like trying to finagle the fish hook out. And, and me and the assistants, we're all like debating like, how should we do this? Like, I don't know. We're trying to figure out what tools to use. And we're like trial and error. And then we finally get it out. And then we bring the turtle back to the lady. And she's like, how much is that going to be? I was like, there's no charge for that. We'll call that a learning opportunity. (laughs) That is pretty much the extent of like what I've done. Okay, okay. Sometimes someone were to call or bring something in. I just say, I'm sorry, but I don't really work on animals besides dogs and cats. But I can refer you to a colleague that I know is great with hamsters, guinea pigs, snakes, and things like that. So okay, there are okay. certain veterinarians in the metro Atlanta area um, that like are known to do wildlife or like small pocket animals and things like that. I see. So they okay. just kind of build that reputation. I do not have that reputation. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there are like doctors that do do that as vets, like specifically. Yeah. It's because they, they just are they care they know more know more about it they have more experience in it they care about it it's right just right right boy what's interesting though and even me without like knowing too much about little pocket animals is probably the number one issue with a lot of those type of animals like your rabbits and birds is husbandry issues 99 percent of the time it's husbandry it's 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 diet nutrition um their their environment those right. issues that come that cause a lot of issues i see um, i see okay so a lot of times it's just educating owners like right because they don't know like, you they your money yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. oh my gosh that's pretty funny um so okay so going um kind of 
going off of what you said, so a lot of your day today is seeing dogs and kitty in kitties. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. So, like, what is your what are your hours like? So me, so what's what's really interesting is right now I do something really unique in the veterinary world. Is I'm a relief veterinarian. So people don't recognize that word a lot, but it's basically a floater. So people know this in other medical industries like pharmacists, they float. Um, if you've ever gone to optometrists, there are some floaters that float to different optometry vision places. Um, so I am basically self-employed. I basically have clinics who hire me to fill mm-hmm. in for them. It could be anything from um, they have someone on maternity leave, so they need someone to fill in. They have someone, they have a doctor that is going to a conference or wants to go on vacation and needs someone to fill in for a week. Or they're just so busy, they just need to, they just need a little bit extra coverage, but they don't want to hire part-time or full-time veterinarian because they're mm. not that busy. Um, or they lost a doctor who quit or, you know, transitioned out and they're, they're looking for a replacement. And in the meantime, they're needing a relief veterinarian to, to fill in. I see. So okay. I've worked for probably over 20 different clinics in the past two years. And I knew that work-life balance was important for me. So I chose really carefully, like what I was willing to do. Mm-hmm. So I choose to only work four days a week. I don't work any weekends and that's just by choice. If so, there are many clinics that would love to have me work Saturdays and Sundays and, and they could have me work long shifts. Um, typically most shifts are somewhere in the eight to six kind of range, Monday through Friday. Um, I don't like to work more than I think nine hour shifts. So I usually work at eight to five or nine to six. Okay. Right. Because I have young kids. I usually were like, Hey, if you, I really only want to work till five and they're like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) because they're kind of desperate. So, so my day-to-day looks really cool right now and interesting because every day of the week, I'm going to a different clinic. Oh, wow. And so I, I've just come to love what I do because I get to meet people that I've never would have met otherwise. Mm. I get to work in different cities. I work in four different cities a week and it's crazy because demographically it's different types of clientele. So everything's just so different. This you know, and I just, I just love the staff I get to meet. And, um, so the day-to-day looks a little different. Some clinics that I do really for, they like me to do surge, more surgery. So I'll do more surgery. Other clinics, they only want me to do appointments. So I only do appointments. Um, so it's, um, it's kind of like a, a hodgepodge of different things. Mm. Like today I did a three hour surgery. Oh my <laughs> you know? gosh. What kind of surgery was it? It's a dog that had a huge, like lump the size of my head, like not even kidding. Yeah, on like externally? Of, yes. Like you could see, it looked like a basketball attached to oh, the side no. of its, its body. And um, I thought it would be like, I, I think I'm a little too confident sometimes. Like, oh, this will only take me an hour. Right. I'm there and everything's bleeding. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, no. it's really heavy. I'm trying to hold it. So um, yeah, that, and but that was fun, but it was exhausting. So, so that, that could be one typical day. But then another day, I just see puppies and kittens all day long. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> and then another day I just get sick pet, sick pet, sick pet, you oh, know? No. Yeah. Um, so I think what makes my job really fun and really just, it never gets boring is because every day is different. And as a veterinarian, I have a, I can be basically a pharmacist, a radiologist, a surgeon, an oncologist, a dentist, um, a I mean, a dermatologist, a behaviorist. I mean, 
the list goes on. Whatever I feel comfortable doing and I enjoy and I'm passionate about, I get to do more of. And so that's why my job is never really boring because I get to do all those things. I'm never limited to one specific thing all the time. Yeah, that's insane. So like, so um, are all vets like, can they do surgery or is that something that's specialized too? So the kind of, and this, I'll kind of talk about a little bit of the schooling a little bit. So um, just like med school, you kind of go to four years of vet school. It's kind of your typical. And that's after you have a bachelor's degree. So you get your normal college degree and then you do four additional years of vet school. Uh, when you graduate, you can just practice general medicine, which is what I did. That means you graduate, you get your, you get your, you pass your board exam, you get your license and you start practicing medicine. Mm. Uh, you can also go the route of specialty, just like in human medicine, you see an OBGYN, they are board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, mm-hmm. right? You see an orthopedic surgeon because you tear your ACL, you're, you, he's, he or she's going to be board certified in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. So on the veterinary side, you, after, basically after you graduate vet school, you can choose to do an internship and do residency. And the purpose of that typically is to get a board certification in a specialty. Okay. Okay. So, and it's, but what's nice is in the veterinary world, you can just graduate and just start practicing. Whereas in med school, you typically have to, you have to do internship. Like you have no option. You have to do internship and residency. Um, but we have the option of doing specialties. So there are veterinarians that I refer to. Let's say I, I have a, like an eye case of a dog. It's just not healing. It's really difficult. And it's just gotten really complicated. And I say, I'm gonna, I recommend referring you to ophthalmologists. So I'm going to refer you to one of my colleagues. They only see eye like appointments that's their sole thing that's their specialty so they specialize in certain things but then even for me I have I have the freedom to do as much and as little as I want so some veterinarians do not feel comfortable doing surgery so they don't do any surgery I see and they just don't do it they just don't recommend it they don't they don't I'm sorry I don't do surgery some veterinarians really don't like doing dentistry and they don't like doing extractions teeth extractions so they don't they recommend them to someone else I tend to lean towards really enjoying surgery. So I'm like, Hey, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like I just, I love, I just will do it because like, it's just something that's like my strong suit, I guess. Um, and here's another funny story about that. So most general practitioners who graduate vet school don't have enough experience to do orthopedics. You just don't okay. learn that in vet school. I see. And so the only way you're really going to start doing orthopedic surgery is if you have a mentor that mentors you and teaches you. So you could do orthopedic surgery without a board certification. And some, I guess, clients will prefer that because it's cheaper. It's like, I get the orthopedic surgery, but I get to save money. I see. Okay. Or you could practice orthopedic surgery by going to the internship residency and then become board certified. And then you practice as a specialist. I see. Okay. Okay. So um, one of my coworkers years ago found this kitty at like a Wendy's parking lot. I feel like this is a story of every cat. They just, they just found them yeah. <laughs> and he didn't know what he was going to do with it. He couldn't keep it, but he was just keeping it in his dorm room. And then one day he comes back to his dorm room and the kitty is just holding up its leg and he had no idea what happened. So he brings the dog to our clinic. We x-ray the, the kitty's leg and it's completely broken, like right at the arm. <gasps> I mean, he's a, he's a high school student, college student. He's a college student. He couldn't keep it. He couldn't afford it. His parents were going to pay for it. And he was like, what do, what do we do? And I'm like, uh, so, so we were like, well, 
why don't I just try to fix it? I've never fixed a fracture, but I was like, this cat's not owned. It, you know, it doesn't have a home. It's like, but, but it, we can't do nothing, right? So I was like, well, someone's got to fix it. And so I just said, okay, well, let me just teach myself. So I, you know, read a couple books. Are you serious right now? I only went to surgery and I put some wires in, I put a pin down and then I put a cast in, and then I wrapped the arm with the cast and the cat is completely normal to this day. He healed. Oh and my gosh, that's crazy. Okay, so, so Jamie, I, I think that's insane that you would even do that. But but well, um, not all veterinarians would do that. Some veterinarians would be like, no. Yeah. Like, you can take that to a different surgeon, but I won't do it. Okay, so I have like kind of, um, I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but it might, I don't know if it's an ethical question, but like, okay, like, you know, this cat is not a human, right? Mm-hmm. So like you have some flexibility, I feel, right? Like to, to take that chance. Yeah. Right? Okay, so like, um, I don't know really what I'm asking you. I other think than- you know what you're talking about. So, okay. so this is what I'll say is the only reason why I felt comfortable doing that to the kitty was because the alternative would have been taken into a shelter and it probably would have been euthanized. It would have been that or blast on social media and find someone to adopt this cat and then pay for the surgery. Mm. So the it was really the only feasible alternative. I guess another alternative that would be include surgery would be to amputate the leg. But we were like, if we can fix the leg, why don't we just fix it instead of amputating it? And amputation is a very easy, is a lot easier surgery. Most most surgeons, veterinarians would probably do amputations. So in our minds, we were like, well, if if it doesn't heal and the cat doesn't walk on the leg after the fracture repair, then we'll just amputate the leg. And so what I'll say is if this was an owned cat, Uh I would not have done this. Right. (laughs) Okay. Right, I would have right, said, right. hey, I, I recommend this cat needs surgery. It needs to go to an, a surgeon. Now, what I'll say is, and this is where you're talking about kind of the ethical and like, well, where's the line? Uh-huh. I'm very honest. I'm very transparent. So sometimes finances is the biggest reason why an owner decides one way or another. And so then what I tell people is, this is the best thing you can do. You should take it to an orthopedic surgeon and they will fix the surgery, but it's going to probably cost you two, $3,000. Or I could do the surgery. It might it'll cost you one thousand dollars, but I've never done the surgery before. <laughs> like I'm very honest. Yeah. And this is an example for this. Or, or what I'll say is this: I only do surgeries personally. That I only offer surgeries personally that I know have pretty low complications rate, complication mm-hmm. rate, and I know that I I'm capable of doing. So there's certain mm-hmm. surgeries I would never even dare touch. Like I would never do open heart surgery on a on a dog. Right. 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 So, and this happens often, like dogs will tear their ACL or they need some kind of surgery where I've not done a lot of them, but I'm, so I always give them the option. This is where I give them like kind of a spectrum is like, so I recommend you go to an orthopedist. It's going to cost this much money. Um, I could do it, but I don't have a lot of experience, but I have scrubbed in on about 20 of these surgeries. So I feel pretty confident. So these are your options. Um, But then I always give them a kind of like a, you know, you can go this route. If money was an issue, I would recommend the orthopedic surgeon. But I also would not be recommending it for me to do if I felt like it was a high complication rate. No, sure, of course. Of Typically, course. is a low complication rate. So yeah. I don't do facial surgeries. Um, I won't do neck surgeries because there's you know things like that. So there's certain surgeries I won't do, but there's a lot of surgeries I will do. 
know. So like what everything you're saying actually like really like hits home a little bit for me because uh, my dog, um, I think it's been like seven, seven or eight years now. But anyways, um, it's a long story. But basically, she was only two or three years old. She got a herniated disc and was Mm. completely paralyzed from the waist down. And then my French bulldog. Yes. It's like a miracle. It's a miracle. You're going to think it's crazy. Right. So like, um, like. I was freaking at four in the morning. She was like panting heavily because she was in a lot of pain. So I took her to the emergency room, which I think in hindsight, I'm not, I mean, it was the only thing I knew what to do at four in the morning. Um, And, you know, right off the bat, it was like, cause you know, she, it was clear that she could not walk like, and it had only been a couple hours, but they either they either said I have to pay for a five thousand dollar surgery for her or euthanize her, right? And I was like, I think this is really fast. Like, I think I need a second opinion. Like, this is and um, as I was sharing with you before, like, honestly, if I had children or something, I don't know what I would have done. But my situation at the time was, I love my dog, and I. Like, she is, like, my daughter at the moment, and I don't know what to do, right? And so, like, and I don't have $5,000 to spend on my dog, right? And so, like, so, (laughs) and I was, like, is it this ER? Like, did I make the wrong choice? Like, you know, a lot of, like, things were going through my head, and I just was falling apart, right? (laughs) Because, like, oh, my gosh, they're telling me to kill my dog. And so, um, and she's only three, like, two or three at the time. And so he made a suggestion. He said, I can just give you, like, give her a a pain patch, a prednisone patch. I don't know what it was, but, and then just kind of wait it out, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, like, I'm not going to euthanize my dog and I don't have $5,000 right now. So I um, brought her home. This all happened very quickly within seven days, right? Mm -hmm. But, um... Anyways, tried to, trying to like speed up the story so it doesn't drag on too much. But but um, I, in that week, in that seven days, I got several different, I went to my vet who referred me to a neurosurgeon or something, a neurologist. And then they were like, hey, like, so the best, like, I mean, it was clear. They were like, if she can't go to the bathroom by herself, like this, you know, it's not looking good. And I... So I was like literally Jamie, like holding her back legs so that she could go to the bathroom. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't take care of this dog. Like, and so um, she was just, I just crated her and I just like watched her and make sure she was comfortable. And the neuro, the neurologist said, Hey, so like, if you go to UGA, they can do the surgery for like 3000. And I was like, like, oh my God. I, I mean, that's still a lot of money for me. Like, I can't do that. And so they're telling me she, she like, x rays were like two or like two herniated discs or mm-hmm. something. I don't even know what she did, honestly. Like, I have no clue how it happened. She's probably born, born with it. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah is that what mm-hmm. it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. The story is good, gets better. But so my, my co worker at the time, she actually, like, um, started a nonprofit like dog nonprofit right so yeah yeah so it was crazy and she like came into a lot of money 
from inheritance that year, right? So like a lot, a lot of money. And I was like telling her about my dog. I wasn't expecting anything. I, I like, I had no. Ex- I was just sharing because I felt like she cared. Like she genuinely cared because she likes dogs, right? And so, um, I told her, and then she was like, "Hey, like go to UGA, and I'll pay for the surgery." And I was like. Okay, like so at the time, you know, I was like praying and interceding on behalf of my dog. I was like, this must be God, right? So I go to UGA, Jamie, and then they evaluate her, and then um, they they're saying the same thing. Everyone's saying the same thing. We want to keep her for observation. I'm like, okay, right? And so they asked me, me, um, and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, to wait in the to the lobby. So we're waiting, and then they come out like thirty minutes later. He's like, "Hey, like, um, you guys should go get something to eat and come back because we just want to keep an eye on her." And I was like, "Okay." And then so we go get something to eat and come back, and then uh, a nurse comes out and says, "So I know this is crazy, but Lola is walking." And I'm like, what? what? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never seen that before. I did not expect you to say that. Yes. And so <laughs> she she said, Lola's walking. And I'm like, they're like, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. But I think what we suggest is you keep her here over the weekend. Let's, let me observe her. And if she needs the surgery, like while she's here, at least she'll be here and we can just do it right away. And I was like, okay. So, you know, that was a Friday. And I went and picked her up on Monday. And my dog was running towards me. Completely healed. <laughs> that You know that does not happen. Like that really I'm doesn't. telling you, she's a miracle dog. Because, <laughs> like, that's, like, one of the worst cases of, of a herniated disc. And usually your only option is surgery. And usually you have to do it in 24 hours. I know it's, it's crazy. So It was crazy. Um, I, it's funny. Cause I feel like this podcast, I know the purpose of this was to be like people who may consider like going the veterinary, what does it entail? And what's it like? But I honestly, there's a lot of like, I just like things you should know, like, like the true story behind veterinary medicine and like, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, um, the, the untold stories of the, yes, of the yes. ER and the vet, because there's a lot of things, just dirty little secrets and just, Things I think generally in the medical world and veterinary world that people don't know, that I think it's important to know. Mm. Um, and then just things like I wish that people knew. Like like what? Like, like your story that you said, the thing that whenever I see someone bringing a puppy, one of the first things to talk about, and I just preface, 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 is get pet insurance. Yes. Like I... It's just, I have put pets down because they got diagnosed with a condition that they couldn't afford treatment like diabetes. Diabetes is completely manageable with medica- with insulin, but mm. couldn't afford it. Or a dog that, you know, again, they couldn't afford treatment, so they put the pet down. Now, I don't judge them for that at all uh, because I understand, like, you know, when it comes to money in our family, like, you're, you have to come first over your pet. Mm. But, uh, but it makes me sad, you know, because I'm, I'm in the business of helping pets and yeah. to know that, pets are put down or given away because they can't afford them. And so pet insurance, it's just one of those things where I've had so many clients go, is it too late to get pet insurance? And I'm like, yes, because now it is a pre-existing cause and they will a pre-existing condition and they won't pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so 
Get pet insurance when your pets are young and healthy. They have no pre-existing conditions. It's really affordable. And imagine your dog could easily live 15 plus years. Do you really think you can go the entire 15 years without some crazy thing happening? Like, you know, diarrhea, even just a diary visit could easily be a couple hundred dollars. A surgery for a fracture or ACL tear, that's a couple thousand minimum. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the list goes on. And so uh, for some reason in the US, it's actually very like underutilized, but other countries like in Europe, pet insurance is like, very very prevalent um oh really it's very free i would think it's very freeing for a pet owner when they have pet insurance because the burden of the finances if something happens it's very scary because you know imagine just going to the vet office and saying you gotta pay three thousand dollars out of pocket or you gotta put your pet down like that's just i couldn't even fathom having to process that no, right. I was in shamble. I was completely <laughs> destroyed. I was like, this is crazy. And like everything you just said too, I was like going through scenarios in my head. Like, okay, is there somebody that can adopt her and help? Like, is there like a committee? I don't know, like a community of people that can help me. Like I had no idea like what to do. Right. And it was crazy. Yeah. And I would say it's probably one of the parts of the veterinary world the uh, industry that I guess I don't love or p- probably people in general and veterinarians don't love is the money aspect it's yeah. the stress of it it's having to talk about it because if you think about any human um medical person a pharmacist a dentist you know like a md they don't talk about any kind of costs mm-hmm. they just go and they do the treatments and then you run it through insurance um for us everyone's usually paying out of pocket there most people don't have pen insurance. And so it's very much how much is it going to cost? And then like trying to figure things out and working out payment plans, maybe, or um, having to change what I want to do because this is what they can afford. Like I've had people come in and say, Hey, I have a hundred dollars. That's all I have. So can you fix my dog? And I'm like, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't know what, you know, and then try to be creative, you know? So I think it's, it's the burden that I carry to try and help people. Cause I feel bad, and, you know, like, um, someone brought in their cat cat ended up having a fracture and they couldn't afford surgery so they said we just got to put a, put the cat down oh, and the cat was so sweet but I was kind of like man well maybe we can just make it into a hospital cat and I was just kind of joking but you know not really being serious and she's like well honestly she's really sweet so I mean do you think you could like see if so you could find the cat at home and I said give us 48 hours and and then we found the cat at home Oh, and wow. we found out, yeah. So, and they were willing to pay for the surgery. Oh, wow. That was a happy ending. Yeah. There are some non happy endings that were the same scenario, but it is sad because that's why our industry, we tend to get a lot of, we call it compassion fatigue. Mm. Um, it's why veterinarians are one of the highest suicide rates. Really? So, I um, did not know that. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to explain, but um, you should look that up. Compassion fatigue is definitely a big thing. And it, I think it happens in a lot of, um, medical industries definitely mm-hmm. but we just get very fatigued and and then just talking and then and then when people kind of might accuse us of being greedy like you don't you want you don't want to fix my pet you know you're too greedy all you care about is money but they don't realize like we're still a business and like we have staff we have overhead we have a building and um and I'm not even an owner so I can't imagine that burden mm-hmm. um so there there are some kind of tough things about about the veterinary world but for me personally I would say that I've, I have done a really good job compartmentalizing. I think that's really key and, and setting boundaries. Yeah. And so yeah. I still would recommend this job for people. 
that want to become a veterinarian. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say run, run, you know, Um, but I I would definitely be realistic about certain things, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think Mm -hmm. the industry is also changing. It used to be mainly men and men and they would work crazy hours, 80 hours a week, weekends, nights, holidays, but it's changing a lot of becoming a lot more veterinarians are women and a lot of women are becoming moms and they want work-life balance. They value that more. And so they're not willing to work late nights, weekends, holidays. So I work at one of the clinics I float to that's open 8.30 to 5.30. They close 12.30, 1.30 for lunch. They don't see any appointments for that one hour. They literally lock the doors, you know, they don't do any boarding. And so it's just, and they're closed for holidays. And so I think there is a shift that veterinarians say, well, that's, I'm not willing to do that. And so I think that's what's key is fighting for what you want. Mm. And, um, and because a lot of people, and I think as veterinarians, just push themselves, push themselves just to exhaustion. And um, it makes me sad because I've just learned I need to, I need to set boundaries because yeah. otherwise I'll, I'm a better, better veterinarian because of it, because I get to go home and be with my family and have dinner with my family. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's definitely important in your industry, but really in any industry, I feel like our job setting healthy boundaries is so important. And I can't imagine like I, that's interesting that you say that because you're right, like in in human like medical situations, if it's serious, you don't really ask, you just do it, you know, because but then with the pet, it's like, unfortunately, it's like the secondary thing that. They're like, yeah, how much does it cost? And that, that always is a question. I can imagine that's really exhausting for the person trying to treat and help you. You know, like they're just trying to help and the numbers are always in the way, I feel like. But um, Jamie, just to kind of shift our conversation a little bit, um, can we go back to a little bit of uh, how and why you decided to become a veterinarian? Um, well, my... I would say my story is a little unusual because I, I wouldn't say I fit that picture of I always wanted to be a veterinarian. I always loved animals. I mean, I've always loved animals. Um, so people would always ask me actually when I was little, oh, do you want to become a veterinarian? Because I loved animals. And I would go, why would you think that? No. <laughs> weird because I was like so angry. And like, I was almost saying I didn't want to become a vet just to be defiant. Mm. It was really weird. I just remember people always assuming I would want to be a vet, but I didn't want to. So I remember being very adamant knowing when I graduated high school and I was going to UGA for college, I told myself, I'm not going to go to that school. Like I just, I'm not becoming a vet, but I still loved animals and I knew I wanted to work in the animal industry. Okay. I actually, my original job that I, I thought I wanted was basically nursing like wild animals back to health. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of, I was like, that's the route I want to go, you know, but I didn't want to be a veterinarian. It was like rehabilitate, you know, wild animals and, and get them all better and then send them back to the wild kind of thing. Oh, wow. It was actually orientation of college before I started freshman year is when I changed my major and decided to become a vet. And Wh- it's really why? strange because I don't know, maybe it was a God thing. And he just really nudged me, but, um, I was in, uh, you know how in the university there's different colleges. So I because I was still doing some type of animal related major, a lot of other students that was in my college uh, were pre-vet. So they were intending to go to vet school. Now I wasn't. So because there were so many students that wanted to go to vet school, they were someone that would sit and talk to everyone about what vet school entails. So I'm sitting there like, 
you know, uh, like this isn't for me, you know, but I'm, I'm in the college, so I have to listen. And they're just saying, it's really tough. It's really competitive. Not everyone can do it. Da, 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 da. And it was weird because like slowly I was like, huh, this is kind of interesting. And I, I don't know if it was, I was like, I'm going to prove to myself and to everyone that I can do it. <laughs> Are you saying that I can't do it because it's too hard? No, I was like, I can do it. And something like, a, it was like a light switch. Mm. And I literally that day, I changed my major and I never looked back. And I said, I'm going to vet school. That's crazy. Maybe. Okay. So like maybe when you were younger, you felt like you didn't want to be like boxed in and then like, or something. I don't know. Wait. So I'm, I'm curious though, like to what extent, like, you know, people are asking if you want to be a vet, like how much did you visibly love animals? Like I, like, like, like people that people are asking you that. That's a good question. The thing is, I feel like who doesn't love animals? I mean, but there are I, people I mean, that well, don't like animals. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who doesn't love puppies, though, right? That's uh, true. That's but true. I was fascinated with, I mean, everything I watched was animal documentaries. Oh. I, literally, like, we had a squirrel trap in our attic in my parents' house when I was little because they would crawl into our attic. And so I figured I got a cage, I put peanut butter in it, and I trapped a squirrel so that we could get it out of the house. But before we got out of the house, I decided to look at it and play with it. Like, you know, like, oh my gosh. Be outside, like looking at spiders. And I just was fascinated with all oh, creatures and man. animals. So I think people in my life, like my family, yeah, noticed that. And that's why you, you like you know, it was a lot more yeah. than a normal person. <laughs> that's so yes. funny. Okay, that's really cool. So veterinary school, was it everything that they had said at orientation? Was it competitive? Was it tough? Like so that's a great question. So I think the hard part is the getting in part. Mm. So, and I think part of the reason why it's really competitive is so strictly a supply and demand maybe. So if you think of veterinary schools, there's only like 26, 27, 28 accredited veterinary schools in the United States. Oh, I did not so know that. Okay. It's not even in every state. So, and I don't, I mean, let's say every class of those 28 schools accepts hundred students. That's it, right? You know, that's only right. twenty eight hundred students every year that get to that get accepted into vet school. So I think that's a part of it is the competitiveness. And and also keep in mind, I've only been talking about small animal medicine. That's that's talking about dogs and cats and that. Mm-hmm. Then you have people who do research medicine. I mean, you have people who work probably for the FDA. Um, you know, our food like equine medicine. Um, there's there's so many aspects of veterinary medicine that's used in different fields you know that's just not about pet owners you know so mm-hmm. um there's a lot of research type things um, pathologists a pathologist you can be a veterinary pathologist all you do is look under a microscope or do uh, necropsies all day which are like basically pet autopsies oh so gosh. it's very if you think <laughs> of, the, of all the different med- medical students and where they could go it's the same thing with veterinarians oh, and people are shocked they're like what they have oncologists like oh yeah they have veterinary cancer doctors that do chemo radiation and they do all of that that's you know crazy. they have radiologists that do x-rays ultrasound mri ct scans like that's their expertise so mm. um sorry i'm rambling and i forgot where i was going with that so yeah where, what was the question um i think <laughs> i i oh, man i don't remember either actually <laughs> Because I was so into your story, but I was just asking you if it was actually competitive, is what it is. Yes, it was, it was yes the, that's what it the was. school itself so, was it competitive. So there's a lot of people that want to go to vet school, but not 
not all of them want to be dog and cat vets. So mm. out of, let's say, if there's 2,800 that get accepted in a year, 3,000, only a portion want to be dog cat vets. Then some are like equine vets, so horse vets. So think about those uh, those horses that the, the race horses, yes, the derby. There are veterinarians for horses. What about think about all the cows, all the beef right, that we right, eat yes. in the U.S. Someone has to make sure those cows, those you know the the all the dairy, all the milk that we consume. You know, those come from live animals, and there are veterinarians behind those taking care of them. The zoos. There's a veterinarian at the Georgia Aquarium. There's veterinarians at zoos that make sure those animals are taken care of and safe. So, so that's why if you imagine the supply, they are the demand, the amount of people that want to go to vet school, but they only hire and they only accept um, so many. So I think that's where it can be really, really difficult. I see. More difficult okay. than medical school. Okay. Um, now, once you get in, one thing that, and at least I experienced this at UGA, I don't, I can't speak on behalf of all the vet, vet schools, is once you get in, they want you to succeed. And that's what I love about my class. I also love my school. Whereas I've heard like law students, like they do everything they can to like get you to fail. (laughs) 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 But they really want to help you and they want you to succeed. They want you to graduate. And so they do everything they can to really help you. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it is also rigorous and, and challenging, you know, because you have to be good academically and like intelligent wise. Right. But you also be able to do technical skills, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're doing rotation. So there's a lot of different skills that you have to be able to do. Mm. And there were, there were some classmates that, that, you know, dropped out. It, it can be tough, but you know, I think it's totally worth it. And I don't know if it's necessarily any much harder than any other professional school, right? Law right. school, med school, things like that. It's really the getting in aspect, but. Uh, so when is I- there a, um, I'm sorry, is there a, like, I know that in order to go to medical school, you have to take your, is it your MCAT or something? Is there something yeah. similar to that so as you go into I think veterinary every veterinary school? school is different. They have okay. different requirements or prerequisites. So uh, when I applied to UGA, UGA um, did not do in-person interviews, whereas a lot of vet schools do. They required the GRE and then the GRE biology. Now oh. I've heard that they don't even require the GRE biology. Oh, okay. So there are some requirements. I know, like I think UC Davis vet school, they require like statistics. So you have to have, you have to have taken statistics, but UGA didn't require statistics. So there are different requirements, and that's why um, there's no such thing as a pre-vet major. Mm-hmm. You're just my major was like biological sciences, I but see. it's just picking some kind of major, but making sure that you you have all the prerequisites that you need to get into vet school. Just like med school, there's no such thing as pre-med. It's just I was a biology major and then I went to med school, right? Um, so that's kind of what it, what it looks like going into that school. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. Um, man. So it just sounds so crazy. I mean, like, I mean, I'm so sorry for my ignorance and all of this, but um, like veterinary school is med school. Like, it's just like, it's comparable, right? Like it's the same. Yes. It almost sounds more difficult in some sense. Cause you're learning about, like you mentioned earlier, like so many different types of animals and how they're all so different. Yes. We, we have like anatomy, like the anatomy of a dog and cat is different from a horse and different from a cow. Like cows don't have stomachs. So they're called weird. ruminants. Like, you know, weird stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like weird. horses, they can't vomit. Huh? <laughs> horses do not have the capability to vomit. Really? Which is very dangerous sometimes because if they, 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 they can blow 
and that can be very dangerous and life-threatening. So, so like, what if they choke? They Then they die? Like, meaning, well, like, if they don't have a gag reflex? Is that what you're saying? Uh, man, I can't remember. It was sorry, like, sorry. Over years ago, but I'm, like, actually interested stomach, as well. The way their stomach and their, their anatomy is built, uh-huh. they don't have the ability to vomit. So if it's a common condition, it's called colic, where a horse has to be hospitalized for, and they stick a tube from their nose down to the stomach, and they basically empty out and siphon out the stuff that builds up into the stomach. Oh gosh! Um, okay. But it is life threatening. Like horses, many horses have died because of colic. Oh colic. no! And they, you know, and they, they couldn't vomit. And that's another story I have. Like you know, even though I work only with dogs and cats in Vesco, you're required to have some rotations that are not what your emphasis is. Uh huh. Um, and I, uh, they were like, okay, it's your turn to uh, siphon out the 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 tube. <laughs> and so you know, but there's kind of a trick to it. You gotta. And then you got to move fast because it's going to come. Oh, and I no. didn't move fast enough. So I got horse <gasps> stomach juice all in my mouth. <laughs> oh, gosh. Jamie. <laughs> so gross. So again, that's why I joke that like um, it's kind of a dirty job sometimes. But then there are days where I just see the just puppies and kittens all day long. Yeah. And it's funny because like I've been doing this for eight years and it never gets old. Like literally the staff members, we just pass the puppies around. Oh, and we just so kiss it and then we take pictures of it. Oh. And we, <laughs> it is, you know? so, so and I was wondering, are pediatricians like that? I'm like, they don't, they're probably tired of seeing all these babies. Right. They don't go, oh, they're all so cute, you know? Well, but, they're all, they're probably, you know, they're not like screaming at you either. Are they? <laughs> or do, do they... Usually like, not. Okay. <laughs> it varies. But yeah, most puppies are just really, you know, happy and yeah. And they were just giving them tons of treats because we just want them to be happy. So yeah. So yeah, there are there are dirty parts of the job, but um what's really cool is if you're like, oh, I don't know if I could ever do surgery, well then you don't have to. Mm. No one you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Awesome. And that is what's really cool is that whatever you're comfortable with is what you could do more of. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, you know, I um don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I just kind of round out our conversation, Jamie. Um, I guess you kind of already mentioned it, but uh, what is for you like the best part of the job? Oh man, you've mentioned a few things throughout, but if you could I, pick one, medic medically, I love surgery. Um. I love being able to fix pets and see the result. Mm. It's that gratification. Um, but this is this is an interesting one. One of my favorite parts of my job is actually the people, which is interesting. Some some vets say they want to go to vet school because they don't like people, mm. but this is absolutely a people job because mm. you're talking to pet owners all the time. Yeah, and I, I've you really get kind of this bond and this closeness with people. And I think they kind of open up to veterinarians because they think we have like, we're compassionate and we just have a, a Yeah, because you love animal animals. animals. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just really cool to see the relationships that I get to build with people. And pets to them can mean anything. It can be anything from, it's just an outside back backyard dog. I don't really care much about it. Or it's like, this was me and my husband's dog that we got together and he passed away last year and this is the last thing remaining of him and you have to keep him alive because mm. this is the only thing left of, of my husband oh my god like and so you build this just closeness and this it's like a family um and it's kind of crazy to say that there are actually regulars 
<laughs> it's like, I feel bad, but there are some pets that are regulars. They come in pretty often um, because they get sick a lot or they have chronic illnesses or something like that. And, and it's just really cool to see, um, see the puppy grow or the cat grow to see um, the owner, you know, just, it, we get a picture of the owner's life. You know, this one dog, the owner was like, um, has an autistic son and said he didn't sleep through the night for the first 12 years of his life. Like he would never sleep. Mm. He's autistic. And they said they tried everything they could possibly think of. And then they got a dog and the dog started sleeping next to him. And said the, from the first day they got the dog, the dog has been, the, the, her son has been sleeping through the night. Oh my God. It's just really cool to see, hear stories like that. Yeah. Um, you know, owner going through cancer and chemo and, and just us just, being there for them. And so I actually love the people aspect of it. I love mm. seeing them and saying, how are you? How's, you know, your family doing? And, um, you know, it it's something that was unexpected, but I love people. I'm an extrovert. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then sometimes just in the back, just, you know, people in our profession, the staff members, we just crack jokes and we try to make, we have to take lighthearted certain things otherwise I think we would get too exhausted and burned out and so we have to find humor in different ways um you know and it, it can be kind of gross and funny you know we're laughing about poop and whatever <laughs> it is you know um that I was talking about that big today I did a three-hour surgery and I removed a, a lump the size of my head yeah. and everyone's like "Ooh, can you cut it open can you cut it open <laughs> <laughs> so um so they're I've really loved many different aspects, but I think the people that I get to influence, mm. the people that I get to be surrounded by, um, you know, I think a lot of people in our industry have big hearts because what I'll say is we don't do it for the money. Definitely mm. not. Um, unfortunately, sometimes you could, uh, people in our industry are usually underpaid compared to most professions, but we do what we do because we love it. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's just the honest truth. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. Jamie, I know I said this was like going to be the end of our conversation, but I forgot to ask you about something and I, and I don't want to miss my opportunity to. And um, sure. yeah, like, so, you know, you mentioned that you're a floater currently, but yeah. it's also the reason for that, um, as you said to me before we started recording is because um, you're about to start your own practice. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's like a really big deal. I'm like super excited and pumped for you. You've been doing this for eight years and you're opening your own practice. Congratulations. Like I can't even imagine what that's like, but, um, what I wanted to ask you about is like, so does that, you just like one day you're like, Oh, I'm going to open a practice or is there things that need to happen before you decide to do that? Well, kind of going back real quick before I wanted to be a vet, I actually always wanted to be a business owner. Okay. My mom was a business owner and, you know, I just always want to be like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know what I want to do. Um, fast forward, you know, I go to vet school, I graduate, then I start working, I get married, I have kids and I'm like, I'm, I was like, ah. and that, that, that dream of opening a business kind of died because I, I love, I was enjoying my family and work-life balance is important. Um, but then I transitioned out working at a practice, private practice as an associate. And I really thought like, what do I want to do? And I, I thought to myself, I, I want to run, run a practice the way I want to run it because I have a certain philosophy. I care about people. I don't think it should be about money. 
I think education is important. I love teaching. I love training the staff. I love educating clients. Wow. People like joke that I, I take forever for exam rooms because I'll sit there and just talk to you for like 30 <laughs> minutes ago. Just like talking about everything, you know? Um, it's just, I just, I'm very passionate about that. Mm. Um, so I was just sitting there thinking, what should I do? And my husband, Eric was like, you should just open a practice. I go, really? I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of work. He's like, I'll support you. And literally like, we're like, okay. And so then, then we started looking for a practice to either buy or to start our own. I, I soon realized I wanted to start my own practice from the ground up. So it's been about like two years in the works and we hopefully will be open like July of 2021. That is so exciting. I'm like, even hearing you talk about it, I'm like, yes, like, when can I go? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's fun stuff too. It's like thinking about like, what am I going to call the man so many decisions what am I going to call the practice yeah yeah do you Uh, I mean don't if you don't want to reveal it but do you have anything in mind yet so the practice will be called peach paws animal hospital peach paws (laughs) I love it that's so cute okay I love it we're in the middle of designing the logo so we're like literally in the middle of it um and it's this is really exciting because you know there's going to be a lot of things I'm figuring out but you know I love practicing medicine but I also love the business aspect of it cool, and really yeah. serving the community that I live mm-hmm. in I live in Peachtree Corners and I just want to serve the community that I live in and, and this is my gift this is my talent and I feel like this is how I can serve my community like I want to be a part of Peachtree Corners and to me this is a need and this is how I could help I mean so. I just feel like that is such a unique um, way to be able to impact your the the community that you live in, but not only is it unique, it's extremely impactful. Like you truly will be meeting people that are your neighbors and yes. helping them. You know what I mean? Like that's that's really cool. That's I mean, something that I can't do, you know, in that capacity, yeah. and that's really amazing. Um, yeah. Were you gonna say something? Well, it's just, you know, my hope one day is like, I have all these dreams that I'm still figuring out is like, you know, maybe even having like high school interns who want to just like are interested in maybe becoming a vet. They just want to shadow. They want to learn. Like I, I want to partner with different organizations in the city of Preacher Corners to say, how can I help and not, you know, and help and educate because educate, educating people are really, something I really care about. And mm. so it kind of excites me to think like, because I think especially as Asian American and a woman, um, I did not get any mentorship growing up really, you mm-hmm. know? And so I want to be there to mentor people, you know, to be there for people. And especially you don't see, you don't see a lot of Asian veterinarians. No, you don't see a lot of, you definitely don't see Asian veterinarians that own practices. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of, and a lot of practice, um, owners, veterinary practice owners are men, even mm-hmm. though there's more female veterinarians. Yeah. And part of that theory is because a lot more men got more mentorship. So even if it's like wanting to own a business one day, like these are the things that I want to help kind of help people with because, you know, I didn't get that. And it's something that I feel like could have really helped the next generation. So I hope I'm excited. To, I don't know what it would look like, but be like, hey, like if you have a program where you want them to do like some kind of work study or, you know, they want to learn about being a vet then like bring him over <laughs> yeah no I mean like for me um I mean 
I, I think I've only shared this once on the podcast, but like, I think that that's kind of my dream in the same kind of chord as you as like, you know, I'm talking to all these people who have put in the work, right? And have gotten a lay of the land in, in whatever job or career that they're in. And um, there are people listening and people reaching out, you know, that are like, hey, like, so I never knew this existed, you know, can you tell me more? Can you connect me with this person that you interviewed? And so, like, for me, even you he- hearing me here, excuse me, hearing you say that, I'm like, you guys, if you want to be a veterinarian, <laughs> don't miss yeah. your chance. You and, know, I mean, I'm happy to like, if someone wants to reach out to me, if they're like considering going to vet school and they just want to know what it entails. Um, I was really fortunate to have a really good college advisor that really helped me through the process. Mm. I'd be happy to help someone just. What do you need to do to even get into vet school? And what is, what, you know, there's, we were, I think like we just scratched the surface, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or if they just want to know, you know, if they want to potentially shadow me um, or just learn more about my day-to-day, like you asked, um, I would love to, i love to share. I don't have like a business website up yet, but I do have a personal uh, website, drjamiecho.com, pretty straightforward. And so if someone wants to reach out to me to just for a potential opportunities or if they just want to learn more about veterinary medicine or going to vet school and all that then um, I would love to um, help someone yeah that's amazing you guys heard it here please don't feel free to reach out if you can't reach Jamie I'll connect you and um, yeah we'll definitely get something set up for you guys if if this is something that you're interested in um uh sorry I'm last question just last I'm so sorry um you know (laughs) Your life is very full in what you do in your career. Um, this now, my, now my last question is, you know, as a mom myself, um, and you know, for women that are listening and maybe are considering family life plus a career, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious. Like, you said to set boundaries, but like realistically, um, how has this balance been for you? Like, how is it to be a working, mm-hmm. a full time, uh, working mom? You know, and uh, you have two two little ones under the age of four, which is a <laughs> is a career in itself, in my opinion. <laughs> but but um, yeah, like, could you speak on that just a, a little bit? Like, what the struggle, yeah. maybe some struggles or challenges, and how you are able to navigate through them? Yes, I think um, it it may not be for everyone. Like, some people they're they may go into vet school, be a veterinarian, then have a family and decide like they, they need to cut back, you know, because it's too hard. And then the nice thing is you can work as much as you want. You can work mm-hmm. one day a week, two days a week, full time. Uh, for me, and if maybe there's some people out there that can relate to me in this way is I am a happier mom and I'm a better mom because I get to work and I get to do something I enjoy. So I feel very fortunate that I get to actually do something that I love mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily just doing it for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I do set those boundaries like, uh, finding hobbies outside of veterinary medicine, trying not to bring work home. Mm. And a lot of, and I'm guilty of this, a lot of veterinarians are guilty of this, is sometimes we, we do too much. Um, and uh, there have been nights I've lost sleep over over a pet, just thinking about them, you know? Mm. That's, that's sometimes a tough part of the job, but it is setting those boundaries and, you know, not giving out your personal number to all these clients. And I have done it sometimes. You know, and most, most of the time people are pretty respectful and knowing like, okay, you know, because I care. So like sometimes I'll call a client on my way home from work. 
because I just want to check on that one pet and I just want to make sure they're doing okay. Mm. Uh, and so, but what's interesting is the boundaries, I don't think is necessarily with clients. The boundaries are more with your job and your employer mm. because, because a lot of people like me in the people industry, uh, maybe this is me being Asian American too. I'm kind of passive and I'm a people pleaser. And I just want to say yes, yes, yes to everything. It's just learning to say no. I see. Um, if you're given, if you're given uh, PTO and vacation time, use it. You know, I used every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I got pregnant, you know, I, I enjoyed working through my pregnancy, but I knew I was going to take my eight weeks off and I wanted my eight weeks off and I took it. Mm. And coming back to work was a little hard, but once I got back into the routine of it, I loved it. But it literally was like, I'm even now I'm still pumping at work. I'm like, okay, guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to go pump, you know? <laughs> so there is a little bit of a juggling. Uh, but for me, I, I'm not afraid to say no at the end of the day when I'm mm-hmm. ready to leave. You know, when a, a dog comes in one minute before closing and says, my dog has been vomiting for the last four days. Like, Can you please see my dog? I go, I'm really sorry, but we're closing in one minute. We can't. Like there's an emergency hospital I can send you to and, and not feeling guilty, like, because that was what was best for the pet. Right. And this is what's best for me is to go home to my family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, I think that's how I've been able to kind of manage it is setting those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I felt like those boundaries weren't, weren't being respected, it's walking away from that situation. Yeah. Which is basically what happened where I was for six years, I, you know, it wasn't a healthy environment. And I, I could sense that my emotional health was, was deteriorating and um, that relationship was severed and it was for the best. Mm, so, yeah. uh, but a lot of people in my industry are like, they're so unhappy, but they just don't, they don't do anything about it. Mm. And I'm just saying like people almost like, they don't think they can get better. And I'm like, you are so worth it. Just, you just need to move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now owning a business and being a mom is that's, I kind of joke, people kind of ask me, are you going to have a third kid? I go, I think my business is my third kid. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if I can have a third kid. Yeah. I mean, because like I have a you know business to run, but I feel very fortunate because I can't take all the credit. It's really my husband. Mm. He's a great dad. I come home, he puts the kids, to, you know, we have like this great system, like, and it's communication. He puts um, my oldest to bed and then I put my youngest to bed. My mom watches the kids full time. Mm-hmm. So I think if it wasn't for the support of family, I don't know if I could do this myself. There's yeah. just no way. Yeah, um, it's so great. I, it really, truly, truly takes a village to, to do all the things and make sure that everyone is mentally healthy as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jamie, again, thank you so much for your time today. You busy, crazy woman (laughs) in all the best ways possible. Um, I really appreciate your transparency with me today. And, um, for those of you listening, if you are interested in, uh, being a veterinarian or even just learning about more about the career itself, uh, you heard it right here. You know, Jamie said it herself. She's totally willing to connect with you. So feel free to DM me through social media, or you can email me at podcast WI gu at gmail.com thanks again jamie see you until next time